Yeho, and welcome back to Ride Better Faster, a show about cycling training and racing. I'm Damien Roos. In this episode, how I analyze rides in WKO5, plus an immersive indoor training app with an epic 790 kilometer ride across the Pyrenees. Today, I'm going to run through my morning routine. Well, skip past the breakfast and the school run to when the house is empty and I've just finished making a nice cup of coffee, a manual brew, V60, 116 ratio from some nice natural Brazilian beans at the moment. Yes, after all of that, I sit down at my desk, crack open the laptop, and that's right, today we're going to go into my ride analysis process. I'll warn you up front that this is very WKO5 and to some extent Train Peaks centric. And saying this, it's hard not to make this a bit of an advertisement for WKO. I don't profit from this though, and I've come to this process after years of researching and applying many other ways of analyzing and prescribing training, but this is where I'm currently at. It fits my coaching style and how I run my coaching business. But as a reminder, there are many ways to analyze and prescribe training. This just happens to be mine. Boom, let's get on with it. And first thing I do after selecting the athlete and refreshing their feed is find the ride from the last ride they did. Timing varies on this one with athletes spread across the planet, but with the first athlete, their day is wrapping up. So I get a chance to look into their ride and plan for the next day before they go to bed, which is a perfect scenario really. So, okay, so at first I look at the details of the ride, planned versus completed, both duration and TSS, and read the post-workout notes, just to get a sense of how the rider is feeling and if there's anything that I have to look out for when I dive in deeper. Then it's onto the first dashboard and chart, which is training impact. And the training impact scores for the ride, a little on the training impact score. Training impact score help quantify the specific strain the body undergoes in response to applied stress. And the simplest way to think about this is training impact scores measure the impact of training on the aerobic and the anaerobic systems. It scores across units of one to 10 and is modeled to be unique and adaptive to you and your fitness level. For me, the score helps eyeball if the purpose of the session matches the session outcome. For example, if I'm in a build phase with an athlete and we wanna maintain endurance, I'm looking at an endurance ride that locks up a score of four, five, or six. Anything above or below is either too little or too much. So changes need to be made to this type of session the next time it's prescribed. I use this to see if endurance workouts are too hot and end up being more anaerobic. And this can either be the prescriptions themselves or the rider was just too keen and working too hard. Then it's onto the DFRC chart or the Dynamic Functional Reserve Capacity chart. Dynamic functional reserve capacity is how much we drained and restored the battery during a workout or a race. And this measurement is in kilojoules or joules as it represents the energy utilized. And this is for time spent above FTP and is a line that follows the duration of the workout and moves depending on the intensity and duration of the effort above FTP. I use this not just as an indication of energy depletion, but you can quickly see if the tank was emptied at certain efforts. It gives you a quick way to highlight specific points in a session or a race where the rider was unable to recover and how that impacted the race after that point. For example, a race on the weekend, the rider said they felt rough from 35 to 41 minutes. And on first glance, 
comparing the three distinct sections of the race, 0 to 35 minutes, 35 to 41 minutes, and 41 to the finish, and then comparing the first half to the second half in a numbers sense, it wasn't clear why. Sure, I was able to get a broad overview that something was going on, like you could see the power drop slightly for that six minutes, but after that the pace lifted and he finished stronger than the start. Also, looking at other metrics, there's a slight dip in intensity factor between those time durations. A little moreover, power in the first 10 minutes was much higher at 416 watts average against 403 watts for the race, and breaking that down into zones, that's 14.2% versus 24.1%, at 475 to 495 watts, so a lot more time above FTP. But once I fired up the DFRC chart, it all became much clearer. While the DFRC dipped after the first 10 minutes, they looked to have recovered, but just as they were recovering, the DFRC dips again. There's a 30 second effort at 460 watts, and then at the turnaround, there's a 20 second effort at 470 watts. Trying to recover from those efforts at 400 watts was the reason they were in the hurt box. This cleared up by about 44 minutes in and they were able to finish strong. Another way I use this chart is to see if a rider went deep enough over a set of intervals. This is a real comparison tool before I get to the actual intervals themselves, kind of like using time in the recovery zone, zone one, as an indication of some slacking going on over the course of a session. Next chart. Max power versus 90 day best. A quick eyeball lets me see if the data is good and I need to fix any data spikes and also if there are any breakthrough efforts so I can dig in and find those in the next dashboard, the intervals dashboard. Well, actually I move between two interval dashboards, the auto marking VO2max dashboard and the intervals dashboard because if the athlete didn't hit the lap button for their efforts, I have to mark up their efforts but the auto marking dashboard does most of the heavy lifting if they are VO2 max efforts, but both are useful in different ways. I use the intervals dashboard when I'm comparing longer sections of a race or training session, and it gives those broad metrics, average power, heart rate, cadence, normalized power, and intensity factor to make quick comparisons. The auto marking VO2 max dashboard though, lets us dig into the shorter duration efforts up to eight minutes or so, and the most important metric here is the percentage of VO2 max for an interval, looking at time spent to be over 90% of VO2 max when looking for physiological adaptions. Okay, so now I've had a look at the session at this level. It's more about higher level metrics. And this is mostly about watching the trends of these metrics to make sure the athlete is responding to the type of training that I'm prescribing. This is really a balance of managing the type of athlete, in this case, slow twitch versus fast twitch, the type of responder, fast, medium, or slow, and the type of training, volume versus intensity. Then making sure things are moving in the right direction at the right time. Then, and only then, have I successfully matched these elements together. So there's no one chart that I go to first. It could be the hero bar chart that works with the WKO metrics across the last 90 days. And these metrics, if you aren't aware, cover the different energy systems or adaptions to be made across all of the energy systems and domains that are useful when it comes to cycling. And I'll give you a rundown of what these are. The first is Pmax, the maximum power that can be generated for at least a full pedal revolution of both legs. This metric gives a clear insight into the athlete's neuromuscular power. The second is functional reserve capacity, and we just spoke about the dynamic version of this, but 
the total amount of work that can be done during continuous exercise above functional threshold power. This metric gives us an insight into an athlete's anaerobic work capacity. Then there's modeled functional threshold power. The model derived highest power a rider can maintain in a quasi-semi-state without fatiguing. This metric gives us insight into an athlete's threshold. This metric is not new, but having an objective model-driven estimate allows for additional analytics. There's stamina, a measure of resistance to fatigue during prolonged duration moderate intensity exercise. The stamina metric gives us excellent insight into the athlete's ability to resist fatigue over longer duration performances at sub-threshold effort. And the final one, time to exhaustion. Time to exhaustion is the maximum duration for which power equal to the modeled FTP can be maintained. This metric gives us insight into the athlete's resistance to fatigue in threshold level performance while providing additional insights to better demonstrate functional threshold power. Watching these over time give me a good idea of how the energy systems are adapting over time. As an example, if you're building a time trial engine, you want to reduce your FRC and Pmax and at least maintain your stamina and build your FTP and time to exhaustion. And there's many combinations of these depending on exactly what type of capabilities you want to build for an athlete. So I'll flick through these to see how things are moving. And then related is the phenotype chart, which is a breakdown of the aerobic and anaerobic contribution to power. This again is more useful when comparing different training phases to see how each phase impacts power production. I like to compare how these energy systems change over time. And this gives me an idea if the training is moving the underlying energy systems in the direction I want. To dig a little deeper, the underlying element here is the dynamic relationship of our energy systems. In this case, of the anaerobic VLA max and aerobic VO2 max energy systems. It is fair to say that we don't entirely understand their relationship, but we do know some things, such as the relative strengths of these two systems will determine your performance capabilities and the percentage of VO2 max you can maintain is directly related to how strong your anaerobic energy system is. The stronger your anaerobic system is, the more it will contribute at any given intensity. How you train will have a significant impact on how your energy systems adapt and interact. Obviously, the way your systems function can be improved and that's why you train, but what's the right balance of training to optimize your adaptations? That's pretty much the golden question. The challenge here is managing both systems because you can't fully train both. And why can't you fully train both? A lot of our training ultimately hits our fast twitch type 2A fibers. They're the fibers that behave a lot like slow twitch fibers or alternatively like your explosive type 2X fibers. The nature of your training determines which direction they go in and that's why you can't perpetually improve both your aerobic engine and your VLA max. If you focus on aerobic work, the type 2A fibers will start imitating slow twitch fibers and your VLA max will necessarily drop. And there's a rule in sports physiology that all training causes a conversion towards slow twitch. So to improve your VLA max, you literally need to stop training or dramatically reduce training. That will improve your VLA max. But the conversion of your type 2A fibers back towards true fast twitch will hurt your aerobic engine. So you see it's this give and take. And so to find the right balance, you need to strategically vary your training sessions, identifying your training goals to help you determine the types of sessions to emphasize in your programming. Now, after that detour, what's left? 
Flicking over to the performance management chart to check on training stress balance and chronic training load to make sure that the day fits in with where the stress is trending. Then, honestly, it's just a bit more bouncing around from chart to chart, but the main daily work is done by now. And then it's time to prescribe the next day. This is really just checking what I have down for the next day because after I do the annual training plan, I plan training one week at a time. Maybe at a later date, I can go into that weekly process. But basically, at this point, I'm just seeing if that training matches and needs to be adapted for some reason. And that is more or less it. What I'm hoping is that you're not only getting some tips for your ride analysis workflow, but you get the sense that there's actually a lot that goes into the decisions made as a coach, from rider type to training response and what type of training each type of athlete should do and when. The data points mentioned here are only one part of helping me spot trends and know if we're wasting time on a certain type of workout and we need to change our training strategy. Because training adaptions are a moving target and Alan Cousins perfectly put it into words the other day in a tweet when he said, just because a particular type of training worked for you in the past, there's no guarantee it will work again in the future. To quote Heraclitus, no man ever steps in the same river twice, for it's not the same river and he's not the same man. It's time once again for The Chaser, the segment of the show where I talk about something that is probably unreleased, untested, or has nothing to do with cycling. This time, I've come across an indoor training app. It's from Bike the World, and it's called Open Road. A quick disclaimer, I do know the creator, the founder, the programmer, they're all one guy, Henrik. We have met a few times, but this review was not paid or it wasn't even suggested by him. I'm just a super fan of the app and there's a couple of cool features on it and you'll find out what those are in a second. It's a real ride experience opposed to a virtual world. So you're riding on a filmed road, which is not new. There's lots of apps out there doing this, but I have found that there's some key differences with Open Road and the others. First up, it's incredibly realistic. The recordings are high quality, but the magic is in the position the videos are recorded from. Henrik has nailed the perspective and speed calculation to give a very immersive experience. You can check out the rides before downloading the app because all the rides go up on YouTube. You just got to search for Bike the World. Now onto the rides themselves. Each video is recorded by Bike the World, Henrik. No user submitted rides here, so that allows them to do some unique things like the continuous ride across the Pyrenees. So if you're looking for a winter challenge, how does riding 790 kilometers from the Atlantic Ocean to the Mediterranean sound? This is 28 mountain passes with 21,000 meters of climbing. And the cool part is this works well for base training because you can stop at any time. Get a ride file to upload to your training software. And then the next time you log in, you can continue from where you left off. And you just keep doing this until the end. The rides aren't limited to this epic beast though, and while there's a bunch of classic climbs from the Alps, etc., there are some rides in places you would never have thought of. And one of the latest ones in Norway is an example of this. I dare you not to be in awe of the beauty of the scenery in that one. In the training world, this app has its place in winter, and not just for those that want a peaceful, mindful riding experience. It's perfect for churning out all the long rides on, those steady state efforts and even tests, it displays everything you need on screen and even has some options to customize what is displayed. 
The biggest issues that I have is not with the right experience, but the user interface and the user experience when you're logging in. It's all a bit clunky. And like any technology, there's a bit of a learning curve to get everything connected. But for me, it worked. Also, it's PC only, no mobile apps or Apple TV. But honestly, this is a one-man show, from videos to development to customer service. So I'll give Henrik a pass for now. And then that's where I want to talk about price. It's free for now. I don't have an exact date when it will change, but it's planned to change in the future. By the sounds of it, the price will be competitive in a Zwift Netflix versus Disney Plus open road kind of way, if that makes sense. But for right now, if you're looking for a different indoor ride experience when you need a break from any other indoor options, then open road is a worthy option. To find it, just search bike the world. And that's it. That's all I got. Ride Better, Faster is written, hosted, and scored by me, Damien Roos. You can check out more episodes at semiprocycling.com. Until next time, ride well.